The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. All right. As Phil indicated, we have reached the end of the book of Colossians. Isn't that amazing? What an incredible study it has been so far. But before we dive into it, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Well, Lord Jesus, every word in this book comes from you. Uh, you have put it together for us, Lord, and we are so grateful and so thankful that in a world that could be filled with darkness and uncertainty, uh, we could have something from heaven that is so sure that we could build our lives on it. And Lord Jesus, I pray that as we hear your word today, uh, that we would hear it as if it's the word coming from heaven even to us this morning. And Lord Jesus, um, we thank you so much for all the wonderful glories that we have seen throughout the book of Colossians. May these seeds of truth be planted deep in our hearts, and may these trees of righteousness grow in our hearts, that we would bear fruits of righteousness and glory, all to your name and all to who you are. Lord Jesus, you are worth it. You are worth to live for. You are worth to die for. And so, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for all that you have been doing throughout this whole series. And we continue to pray, Lord, as we anticipate what you have for us next. Uh, we thank you for this church. As Tara has wonderfully said, it's our wonderful, loving community. You have used the gospel uh, to unite people from all sorts of backgrounds and all sorts of um, uh, cultures, Lord. You have brought us all here together. And we're so thankful that we get to call each other brothers and sisters because of what you have done for us on the cross. So Lord, I just pray that you would help me preach faithfully, that the word and the message would be clear, and that we would be encouraged, Lord, to continue to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, so what I would like to do before we close the book of Colossians, I would like us to go through the book of Colossians. Um, I want us to fly over all of the chapters that we went through. I want to pick up certain themes and certain tru truths that we have learned, kind of to set the idea of what motivated these guys at the end to be so faithful, okay? What motivated them to be willing to go to prison for Christ? Why were they so willing to go? Why were they so willing to be beloved and encouraging and all of the wonderful attributes Paul lists for us? So I want to see three things as we fly over this book. And before we even fly, I just want to give a small context to this book. Remember, Paul is writing, he wrote this letter in prison, okay? He was visited by Epaphras, who was the one who gave the truths of the gospel to this church. And as he's growing this church, we had self-made religion at the door wanting to come in. A self-made religion, that man-made religion really um, who said, Jesus is not enough, you need more than him to achieve a higher level of spirituality. Uh, you need to worship angels, okay? You, you need visions in order to be at a higher level or to be complete. Jesus is, won't get you there, is what one of the things they would say. The second thing they would say, hey, Jesus is not enough, you need to adhere strictly to the law. Uh, you're not allowed to eat, you're not allowed to drink. Uh, you're supposed to beat yourself to gain a level of righteousness that Jesus cannot give to you. And so Epaphras, hearing all this, he's like, okay, 
what is the will of God? Let me go consult the apostle. So he goes over to Rome. He sees Paul in prison. He tells him what's going on. Paul writes this letter. And there are three things that Paul brings out. Number one, he brings out the Christ of the gospel. And then he brings up the hope of the gospel. And he also brings out the goal of the gospel. Now, I just want to fly through this, okay? I'm going to list them off. I might give verses. So if you're quick with writing, cool. If not, we could hear the sermon later and pause if you want. Or if you want, I can also email you this list. But first, I want us to see the Christ of the gospel. Paul, in order to combat this man-made religion, he presents to us our Lord Jesus Christ. He presents him as king in chapter 1, verse 13. He has a kingdom. Uh, He presents Jesus as God. He is the image of the invisible God. The whole Godhead dwells in him bodily. Uh, Number three, he he illustrates Jesus as the creator of all things, whether visible or invisible. And not only the creator, the sustainer of all things. We see that he is the head and he is preeminent. We see that in him all things hold together. We see that he holds all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. You see, what was happening is these guys were saying, Jesus doesn't have all the wisdom. And Jesus doesn't have all the knowledge. But Paul is saying, no, 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 no. With Jesus, he holds, as a treasure chest holds treasure. You find wisdom and knowledge in Jesus Christ. And then we also see that he is seated at the right hand of God. And we saw the implications of that. What does that mean that Jesus right now today is seated at the right hand of God? We see that he is a priest interceding for us. We see that Jesus has your name on his lips in heaven right now interceding for you before the Father. Not an angel, but God. And we also saw, as he's seated uh, at the right hand of God, that he is king, exercising his kingship over all things. Nothing passes Jesus without his approval. Nothing takes Jesus by surprise except for his approval. That includes the tragic of the hurricane that we saw in Florida. It includes even the birth of a new child. All things are under his control. All things have to be run by him. Nothing takes a prize. And since we trust him and he's good, we trust him. We also saw that Jesus is our life. Remember, he says in chapter 3, verse 4, Christ who is your life. We also saw that he is our master in heaven, that whether we work, whatever we do, whether with word or with deed, everything about our life has to reflect that we are under a master in heaven. So that's the Christ of the gospel, and we just flew through that. But now I want to present to us the hope of the gospel. What does Paul say that we have in Christ? How is, how is what we have in Christ so worth it for us to give up things in our life and be willing to go to prison and be willing to chase after Christ, or be willing to be persecuted, be willing to give ourselves to him? What do we have? Well, number one, the world cannot offer you, man-made religion cannot offer you hope. You have hope laid up for you in heaven. 
It is reserved for you. The second thing, we can understand the grace of God in truth. And we saw in a world that loves to change definitions and change everything, you cannot know truth. Scholars today are referred to people who cannot come to a conclusion. You could read all their articles, and then at the end, it's like, okay, what did you conclude? Here, Christ can give you such a conclusion where you can understand his word in truth. We saw that the Father qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Uh, we saw that we were delivered from the domain of darkness. And we saw that we were transferred into the kingdom of his Son. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have been reconciled to God through the cross. We can find encouragement. We, as Tara said today, we have a community of love. And yes, this is very true for our church. I was so excited working on this sermon because I thought of you guys. You guys exemplify the gospel in such a beautiful way with your faithfulness and your love towards each other. Amazing. Here's another hope that we have. We are made complete in him. Where the world tells you you're not complete, Jesus comes and says, I will make you complete. The world will offer you uh, through advertisement and through storytelling, whatever, you're not complete until you have, until you've done, until, until, until you have. Christ comes and says, I know you're not complete, but I will make you complete. In him, we are made alive. Our record of debt, the, the list of sins that separated us from God has been canceled through the nailing of the cross. Your record of debt that separated you from God, the cross canceled it. It paid it in full. It's done. Another hope, we will appear with Jesus in glory. We have peace with God through Christ. And we have the peace of Christ in our own hearts. Peace. Peace in a world of not peace. True peace is found with Jesus. And we also have the word of Christ that we could have it dwell in us richly. I mean, this is what we have in the gospel. And Paul is, is telling the church here, listen, you don't need anything else. If somebody comes up to you and offers you a different gospel, reject it. What are they trying to do? They're trying to sever you from the head who is Christ. And a dead body on the floor without a head is only meant to decay. So what is the goal of the gospel? So we have all these truths. Now, what are we supposed to do <laughs> with all of this? And as, again, throughout the book, we are, we are told that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We would walk in such a way to reflect these truths that our minds and our hearts are set on eternity. And so when we live this life, everything is put in that perspective, in that scale. Uh, we are to, um, the goal is to be fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, to give thanks to God. 
we see Jesus' goal, his ultimate goal is this. His people will be presented before him holy, blameless, and above reproach. That's Jesus' goal. And we saw that in chapter 1, verse 22. And then in chapter 1, verse 28, we see Paul's goal. What's Paul's goal? Paul wants you to be mature in Christ. So he's willing to suffer to see you more mature in Christ. He's willing to be in prison and not released until he sees his people mature in Christ. He will not deny Christ. He will preach Christ. But he's going to suffer. And he's willing to suffer to see them more mature in Christ. And then we're also going to see Epaphras, the pastor, the pastor of the church who came to Paul. He's struggling in his prayer. He's not struggling like, I don't know how to pray or I'm struggling to keep awake. He is fighting to get a goal. That's what struggle means. He's contending until he reaches a goal. And Epaphras' goal is this. I want my church to be mature in Christ. So you have Jesus' goal, a mature people, holy and blameless before him. You have Paul's goal, I want people mature in Christ. You have Epaphras' goal, who wants to see his people mature in Christ. And then now we are here. The question we can ask ourselves, do we want to see each other more mature in Christ? That is the question. That is the goal of the gospel. The gospel grows. The gospel works in us. It is not something that's separate from us. It is something that grows in us. He tells us in chapter 2, verse 7, the goal is to be rooted and built up and established in the faith. Rooted in what? Rooted in Christ. Rooted in Christ. The more rooted you are, the more established you become. The more easy it becomes for you to reject false teaching. We are not to fall victim to man-made religion. Uh, we are to seek the things above. We are to set our minds on the glory reserved for us in Jesus. We are to put off our old identity. We are to put on our new identity that looks like Jesus. Uh, we are to live in our new identity at home and at work. We are to be continuously praying not just primarily for ourselves, but for our brothers and sisters. Whatever we do in word or deed, we are to do all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the book of Colossians. It's amazing. It's fantastic. But then we come to our last portion. And Paul, he doesn't just waste paper. And he doesn't want to show you how cool he could write his friends' names and stuff. <laughs> But he's presenting to the church real-life examples of this. He is, he is willing to send and to show these people who are working. But each one of them has something special to them. And so I'm just going to walk through the text, and we'll close. So we start with Tychicus. Tychicus. He will tell you about all my activities. This is verse 7, chapter 4. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant, or you could say slave, in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Tychicus was one of these guys who was just willing to go. Paul sends him to Ephesians, uh, Ephesus, he sent him to Laodicea, he sent him to Colossae, and you just see Tychicus willing to go. Yes, Paul, I'll go. 
Tychicus, this pastor needs you. Okay, I'll go. But here's something amazing about him. If it wasn't for Tychicus being faithful, if he was immature, he would not have delivered to the church the book of Colossians, the book of Ephesians, and Philemon. Remember, Paul was in prison, and he writes these letters. He hands the letters to Tychicus. Tychicus goes to the churches. They make copies and on. But if Tychicus was not faithful, we would not have these glorious books. Isn't incredible? So what does the gospel do for Tychicus? I mean, he's willing to be faithful. He's willing to get the job done. He's willing to go. He's willing to serve. And look at this. He doesn't write a New Testament book. He doesn't have this high level view of the apostles that we have. What does he do? He's, he can encourage your hearts. He's an encourager. So serving for the kingdom of God can be as meaningful as an encourager. And that's something I have seen so much from this church, encouragement. It keeps the man going. It keeps him going. It keeps him going. I've received email, text messages, and it makes me want to keep going. That's just how I am. That's just how Ticketus is. And he knows that getting encouragement will put fire in you. Notice he's also a fellow servant or a fellow slave in the Lord. Tychicus has the same view in mind as his master. And what is Jesus' goal? To present people holy, blameless, and above reproach. What's Paul's goal? To present to people mature. Epaphras' goal. What's Tychicus' goal? To see his brothers and sisters mature. Then we get to the next guy, Onesimus. Onesimus. Now, this church, um, Philemon was a part of this church. And Philemon has his own book, his own letter from the Apostle Paul. And Philemon was a slave owner. And Onesimus ran away from Philemon. And somehow, he encountered the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul gave him the gospel, and he's converted. And we see in the book of Philemon a plea from the Apostle Paul to Philemon, take him back, he is my child. But look at what, how, how he writes this. So this letter is being read in a church. Philemon is somewhere in there. Onesimus is standing here. Tychicus is here. And this is what it says. And with him, Onesimus, a, our faithful and beloved what? Brother. Who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place. He is your brother. What did the gospel do for Onesimus? It took him from the view of you're a slave to your brother. The gospel can take no matter what your background is, no matter what your culture is, and put you in the family of God, calling you brother or sister. He didn't use the same word fellow servant or fellow slave like Tychicus. He gave him the title faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you? Wow. Then Paul opens up the next group of people, and these people are considered the men of the circumcision. So these were Jewish people who were also fellow workers with the kingdom of God. Aristarchus, 
He's a fellow worker with, with Paul, and he's willing to go to prison with Paul. He was willing to go through a riot with Paul, and he was willing to go at sea with Paul. Any sort of suffering Paul would go through in the book of Acts, you can see him there with him. He's willing to go. He's willing to be in prison. The gospel has captivated him to such a degree where he's willing to serve Christ. And if he gets thrown in prison, all right, he's happy about it. Is the gospel like that for you? Will you be willing to suffer for the gospel's sake? in order to see the word of God spread and to see people be more mature in Christ, that they would take the word out and they would take the word out and on and on it goes. Are you willing to go to prison? Even if you die in prison, you have glory waiting for you on the other side. But then we get to, to, the, we get to Mark, the cousin of uh, Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now, with Mark, what we see, and I'm going to read it to you, two different accounts, no, two different events that happened with Mark and Paul. From the uh, book of Acts, chapter 15, verse 36 through 41. And after some days... Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. He, wants, he didn't just preach and then leave them. He wants to see how they are. Remember his heart. He wants to see them more mature. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. This is the same Mark that's in Colossians. Okay? But Paul thought it best not to take with him one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia, and had not gone with them to the work. So Mark deserted Paul. They were working together. They were doing the work of the gospel. And halfway through, Mark said, you know what? I'm, I can't do this anymore. I'm going. And just left to Paul. So, and then now Paul, uh, Barnabas is saying, hey, let's take Mark with us. Paul's saying, no. Well, look what happens. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Paul took Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Again, this idea of he wants to see them established in the faith. He wants to see them more mature. But look, there was a, Paul is looking at Mark as someone who deserted him. I don't want to use him again. But then look what happens in 2 Timothy 4.11. Something happened. He says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark, the same Mark, and bring him with you, for he is what? Very useful to me for ministry. What did the gospel do for Mark? It brought reconciliation. It restored the relationship that was so harmed. The gospel brought reconciliation, and not just reconciliation. Mark went on to write the book of Mark. He's willing to go. He's willing to serve. He became useful. And then we have somebody else, Jesus. This is his Jewish name, but because of tension between Jews and, uh, and the Christians, they gave him the Greek name, Justice. Okay, Jesus, who is called Justice. Justice. 
And you don't know anything else about him except this portion of scripture. But he's included with those who are fellow workers with Paul for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Even though justice doesn't get a fame and he doesn't get notarized, he's still willing to serve and to be a comfort to Paul. He's willing to be silent. Sometimes we will not be, we will not be noticed in our work. But God notices. People who serve notice when you have become a comfort to them. Okay? I want us to look at 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Again, just to give more emphasis. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The work of who? The work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So going out and serving the church to see people more mature in Christ, you are doing the work of the Lord. Look at Epaphras. He's the pastor again. He's showing up. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. So Epaphras is going to Lord Jesus on their behalf. And he's struggling. He is fighting for. He is trying to achieve something from the Lord Jesus. And that is, I want them to be mature. I want them to be fully assured in the will of God. So now we could ask ourselves this. This has to be something in, in our prayer life, really. When we look around this room, we should be praying for our brothers and sisters, more specifically, their maturity in Christ. Their maturity in Christ. And then we should live in such a way where we would serve that purpose. That's how we get a healthy church. That we're not just here as a club. We don't come here on Sundays just to hang out, hear some music, hear a word, go home. But there's an actual intent here, being here. Do you desire to see this church more mature in Christ? And you can take part in it. It doesn't mean you have to be up here. It doesn't mean you have to give the word. It doesn't mean it could be anything. It could be from encouraging, as we saw. We could comfort. We could listen. In our, in our Wednesday morning Bible studies, I mean, we have some of the most faithless, faithful, sorry, sisters. <laughs> faithful sisters. No, I would repent in dust and ashes. <laughs> the most faithful, I'll say it again, faithful sisters in the Lord. I mean, they're willing, they're willing to do the hard work. Say again. And brothers, yeah, Norm, thank you. John, John, yeah, you guys are amazing. But this is evident here is what I'm saying. I've seen it. You guys have it. We can go more. We can. 
So the question is, do you want to see your brothers and sisters more mature in Christ? When you, when you go before the Lord, and after you've prayed for yourself, after you've given God glory, whatever it is, at the end, or somewhere in the prayer, have you prayed, I want to see them more mature in the Lord? Pick a name, and then go after that name until they achieve the level of maturity. This is what we're doing. Struggling. We can go to the Lord Jesus on each other's behalf. Look with me, Romans 15.30. Look at what the Apostle Paul says. I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together. There's that word again of struggling is differently translated. To strive together with me in your what? Prayers to God on my behalf. He's asking for prayers. Strive together with me. Fight in prayer with me. Don't give up until you get it. Be resolved of what you want in your prayers with me. That's what he means. And then we, in verse 14, we see Luke, who is the beloved physician. He greets you. Luke here is... You know, uh, he's the one who wrote Luke in Acts. He served Paul on his missionary journey. He's like Paul's personal doctor. Uh, but he's willing to serve with his skill the kingdom of God. Doesn't necessarily have to be a church job. Could be a, he's a physician and he's serving. And Paul's highlighting this. This is what the gospel did for this man. But then look at what happened to Demas. Poor Demas. This is a name you don't want for your kid. <laughs> and I'll show you why. Look at 2 Timothy 4.10a. And this is a reality, and we have to be careful for it. For Demas, this is in a different part. In love with this present world has deserted me and gone into Thessalonica. Let me just read 1 John before I comment. 1 John chapter 2, 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that, I, that it may become plain that they are not all of us. Here's the thing. Demas started with Paul. He served with Paul. He encouraged Paul. He suffered with Paul. And then the world got him. The world presented something flashy, and Demas fell for it. He fell in love, and I love how Paul writes it, in this present world. <laughs> this just means this world's going to pass away. And he fell in love with what's passing away. He gave up. He gave up. This is why we pray for each other. We don't know if there's a Demas, even among us, as we serve we don't know if someone of our brothers and sisters are tempted with the world and who might feel like maybe the world offers better than Christ. That's why we pray. That's why we're fighting in prayer. That's why we set our minds on things above, not on things below. This is the whole book that we've been going through. We have something better in Christ than what this world can offer. Okay. Then he goes on. Verse 15. 
Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Here we have a dear sister. She opened her house for church. And she's serving the goal of the gospel. Just open the house, have church. She's serving in the expansion of the gospel and the goal of the gospel. Okay? And then he says, and when this letter has been read among you, have it read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. This letter is the book of Ephesians. Um, and so this tells us that this whole, this letter is not just for the church of Colossae, it's for all the churches. Okay? We are to read it. We are to hear it. It is to guide us. It is to protect us. And so we come to Archippus. And this is kind of us. But he's a real person sitting there. He says, say to Archippus, verse 17, that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. The Lord has a ministry for each one of us. No one can come to the Lord Jesus, our master, and not have something to do. You have something to do, no matter how old and how young you are. The Lord Jesus has given you a ministry to fulfill. And here he's pleading with Archippus, see that you fulfill it. See that you fight for it, fulfill it, go after it. Because you received it in the Lord. You didn't receive it from me. So I'll ask us. Is that something you're actively looking for? Lord, how can I serve you? How can I serve your church? How can I see, how can you use me, Lord, to see people more mature in you? Those are good prayers. That falls in line with what Jesus wants. And then, verse 18, Paul signs us off. He goes, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Why did he tell us to remember his chains? He could have just said, I write this with my own hand. Grace be with you. He said, remember my chains. There's two reasons why I think he said this. And I think they both line perfectly with one another. Number one, like we read in Romans 15, he's asking for prayer. Don't forget what I'm put in prison for. I need prayer from you guys. But it also points out his resolve. I'm not moving away from this ministry that God gave me. I'm bound to it. I'm chained to it. Yes, I'm in prison, but I'm not leaving prison because they want me to deny the Lord Jesus. Remember my chains. Look at what it says in Philippians. This is also another reason. Philippians 1.14 says, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So remember my chains prompts in us, okay, why should I be afraid of preaching the word of Christ? If I go to prison, cool. Right? Also, yes, we pray for those who are in prison. Our brothers and sisters who are in prison even. And so he's reminding them to pray for him. He's reminding him, them of his resolve on all of this for the glory of Jesus. Grace be with you. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we heard amazing truths from your word. What a gospel we have. What a Christ we have. Lord, I pray that these truths will mold our hearts, give us motivation, give us the perspective on our lives, to shape our lives, to fall in line with what you want us to do and how to pray. Lord, I thank you for this beautiful church, Lord, that you are growing. And I pray, Lord, as we close this book, that we would not forget it and that we would continue to remember it and that these truths will continuously come to our mind when we're even tempted with this present world. We'll remember Demas. Lord, and just to think about you and where you're seated in heaven at the right hand of God, interceding for us even now. We pray, Lord, for the growth of your people. I pray, Lord, for the maturity of them. Lord, that we would be a generation of mature Christians getting ready for the next generation to come. We pray, Lord, all of these things in your wonderful name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.fountainoflifefellowship.com.